Hello, and welcome to Waverical, the podcast that reflects on the process of being part of Social Action Inquiry Scotland. We delve into what has emerged for us during this process of being part of the inquiry. We highlight our learnings and unlearnings, and we explore the topics that have been rooted within us. I'm Amanda, and today on the podcast, I am joined by Deborah, one of the inquiry's co-leads. And I'm also joined by Catherine Rose, or CR for short, who is one of the inquiry's co-chairs. And we explore together the practice of reflection. This mindfulness exercise has helped us to surface things and bring our authentic selves into the work. We invite you to reflect along the way with us, and I offer some questions to ponder at the end of the episode. Now let's get into the conversation. So I'm joined for this reflective practice episode with Deborah, our co-lead, and CR, our co-chair. So welcome to both of you. And if this is okay with the both of you, instead of offering a check-in question for this time round, we might take a moment and just sit in each other's presence for a minute or so and offering the audience to do the same. Is that okay with both of you? Sounds great. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you. In this episode, we're talking about reflective practice. And I was wondering if we could just give a little bit of context. What exactly do we mean when we say a reflective practice? And if we delve into how we do a reflective practice as well. For me, the interesting part about that phrase reflective practice is that it's got two parts. So the idea of reflection, of contemplation, of Mm looking at oneself, looking at your context, your relationships, the system that you're operating in, taking time to notice that. The image of you're looking into a pool that's reflecting back all of this uh, rich ecosystem around you, whatever that might be, and you're able to look at it a little bit differently. But the other half of that is the practice. Mm -hmm. That for me, that's the deepest part of this work is the building up the practice Mm -hmm. of it. And that anything we practice gets stronger and more nuanced and you build up the muscles and the skill to be able to do it and you become better at it. It becomes more familiar to you and the way that you shift and change as a result of that practice shifts and changes your life. Reflecting in and of itself, important, valuable, but the practice of it, the discipline of the practice is the beauty, I think, in that phrase. Wow, that was that was so beautifully put. I can't, you know, even if I had something else, I think I'll just stick to what you said. <laughs> I think you put it so beautifully. 
I agree with everything you just said because of the two parts and everything. And in my personal experience, the meaning is very similar to what it is for you. But also reflective practice in my own experience is an opportunity for me to pause and breathe. Love that. Oh, so much resonating with both of those. Yeah, my first thought was definitely similar to you, Deborah, about like that pausing, especially when things are so fast paced. Time becomes such a valuable resource. Some people say time is money and we never actually get time actually doing something for myself or something that might actually benefit in the long term. It's not valued as much. And then CR, yes, it is a reflective practice. When you were saying that, it really struck a chord with me in the sense that when I started, I was pretty rubbish. <laughs> like I was like, oh, I could do this thing again. And I started in a group setting as well. So it was like, oh, it's in the calendar. I've got to do this thing. Always enjoyed it at the time. But now thinking over a year on doing it on an individual level, like most days now, because it's like, this is so beneficial to my mindset and how I can process all this information. So yeah, I've never thought of it, even though it's in the phrase, <laughs> it is a practice. <laughs> yeah, I love hearing about that. I love hearing about your experience and the journey with it. It's interesting. I think I probably had a similar reaction to the first time I was doing reflective practice. I was working with somebody who did reflective practice regularly and suggested that we do that as part of our partnership. It was a different piece of work, but it was also a co-leadership role. This is when I was working in Bromley by Bow, which is a community center in East London, and it was very complex work. And so mm. Becky, my colleague, suggested we should do reflective practice every Friday. And that it should be a commitment and a promise to each other that we would not miss it no matter whatever demands we thought we had. And I thought, that's a huge commitment. Every Friday morning for a couple of hours, for two years, you and I are going to sit down and reflect. <laughs> and I'm quite a reflective person, but I think I just had never given myself permission to carve out that amount of time. And I think the thing that actually was most significant for me was the promise, mm -hmm. the commitment to someone else and to the work. So the stakes were a little bit higher than the promise that I might make to myself, which unfortunately I think I can undermine my own commitment to myself. But promising to someone else meant, okay, I have to show up for this. And we did. We did it every Friday without fail. And so now I can see but only through the experience of making it a practice, just the way you described Amanda, I can see how that changed me as a person, my work, my practice, the project, my relationship with my co-lead, my relationship with the context, all of that shifted positively as a result of that reflective practice. But it wouldn't have done if it was a few times here or there, if we didn't commit to it in the same way. I think it was a journey in that sense to me as well. Also, in addition to that, reflecting on what you said in the beginning, I mean, besides that permission for myself and the commitment, I was conscious about what I'm saying and trying to perform. And that doesn't actually help in a reflective practice because bringing your authentic self in there. So I've seen that as a journey as well, the way I have worked towards bringing my own feelings and the authenticity to that conversation. And I think that was encouraged because it was in a group setting. So by observing others bringing in their privileges, their vulnerabilities into that conversation, I felt I had the permission to do that as well. And I think that has grown for me as a journey as well, alongside my comfort and practice and, you know, that discipline and I was doing it regularly. 
and now I can do that to my own self and own my emotions and tell myself this is how I feel. I felt that with the pace that you were talking about in the world and also the performances that we need to do in some of the roles, you end up masking your emotions, but you also end up masking your emotions to yourself. And I think reflective practices help together with, through those connections, you help each other bring in those authentic emotions out, but also to yourself as you work through that journey. For our audience, what kind of ingredients would you put into your cake mixture, let's say, that would be reflective practice? What little ingredients do you need to be able to build that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's all kinds of ways to do it, which I can just share the way that I've been doing it, but I think there's many, many ways. So it's interesting. There's probably something about the ingredients, and then one of those ingredients for me is a framework. So something that helps me go through the same process every time. For me, that's helpful because then I can see the changes. I can see the themes emerging and I can see some of the areas in which I continually get stuck because I'm doing a similar process every time I do reflective practice. So I have used now for a few years a learning cycle. There's a few learning cycles out there, but the one that I use is by someone called Kolb, K-O-L-B, Kolb Learning Cycle. And it just takes you through a process of asking yourself the question, what are you doing? So what's happening around you, which is usually pretty easy to start to identify and then notice what you're feeling about those activities, those actions. So you move from the surface level, you know, the kind of things at the tip of the iceberg that you can see around you to what you're feeling about that. And then moving through that process helps you to then identify what are you learning? It's the way into the learning and then brings you to the close of the circle, which is the actions. What do you want to do off the back of that? And I think for me, what I notice after doing it now for a few years and doing it with others is that people have strengths on the two sides of that cycle. So I love the noticing bit. <laughs> What's happening around me? How do I feel about it? That's my space. I live there. Moving into the learning I can do, I'm happy there. Bringing it to the sharp edge of what am I going to do about it now? What are my actions now? That's sometimes harder for me. And what I notice sometimes working with others, they just want to begin there. <laughs> Let's begin with the actions. I, I don't really need to work all the way back to think about how I feel about some stuff and like what's been going on around me. And so doing it in a paired way is really helpful to see the kind of different strengths that we have. But I think for me, like I say, the thing that is revealed to me is that there are certain situations that I get into again and again, <laughs> and doing the same framework helps me notice that. But that's just one of the ingredients, I think. There's lots, lots, lots of ways of doing it. And reflective practice for me could be anything, right, from breathing to a walk in nature to having a laugh out or a fragrant candle in the room and just noticing the fragrances and what it triggers in me. But I think what is important for me is for that to go with some journaling. And that journaling is just for myself. It's just that is my private space. Just to see or to observe what I'm feeling. That would be another ingredient I would throw in the mix. But it's very similar to yours. Your documenting of the cycle, CR, is also a form of journaling. And for me, it doesn't necessarily need to go through cycles. It can be anything. It just can be like what are the emotions that triggered me in that practice or what made me happy about it or what made me sad about it or how do I want to change those feelings to a happy feeling you know like I feel that I know where I need to go especially if it's in a space of joyfulness and happiness if I'm not feeling that and just exploring those bits a little more yeah thank you 
yeah, I've just realized lately that an element of it that I feel is needed is trust, whether that's with the other people involved or whether it's with yourself. And also trusting the process because I think initially sitting down in a group being like, this is work, but we're asking ourselves quite deep questions about what's going on. And I think when I've been in other spaces, I've actually noticed that reflective practice allows you to bring in your whole self. And there's been times where I've like cried through reflective practices and it's actually been quite uplifting. I don't have to mask anything. This is me. This is everything that's going on. I feel like reflective practice lets you embrace that. But yeah, I feel like there's an element of trust to being able to share that with those people or being able to let that out of yourself as well that I've always felt is kind of a little, I don't know, bit of baking powder in there. (laughs) Totally. I think trusting, trusting the process, trusting yourself, trusting others. And I think some of the other ingredients we're talking about is time small amounts of time with regularity like you're describing Debbie or like that consistency of on a Friday there's something about time and then I think there's something about the commitment to it I think there's probably something else about non-judgment all of us a tendency to judge ourselves so when some of the stuff starts to come up that we're noticing we can try to push it down or we can have judgmental feelings about that you know, we can begin, oh, this didn't go well, I failed, I should do some reflecting. (laughs) Even beginning with that kind of framing is already a place of judgment. And I think particularly if you're doing it with others, that principle of non-judgment is really important for what you were describing, Debbie, about being able to be present and remove some of those masks that we have, particularly professional masks. But I think sometimes even saying out loud, there is a principle of non-judgment in this process. I say to myself <laughs> when I begin, or I say to others. For both of you, has there been a moment that doing a reflective practice has really made an impact, whether that be a personal aspect or whether that be within the work of the inquiry as well? I mean, I can think of one, definitely. So Sam and I, as co-chairs, We tend to meet every Friday or every other Friday. Sometimes those discussions are reflective and sometimes they're strategic and operational or task-based, but we always try to have an open conversation with each other. And I think at some point we realized that we drifted. When we first started the work, they were very reflective conversations because we were in this dreaming space of thinking and planning and imagining what it could be. And then when the work got busy, it became a bit more of a kind of operational conversation and that there was a disconnect then for us and we realized we were missing both the kind of connection with each other and connection with our whole selves and how our whole selves are connecting with the work. So we tried to make more space to talk about that. And in that conversation, we realized some of the challenges of the inquiry because the inquiry feels like a privilege for us to be able to ask these questions and to be able to work with the communities that we're working with. Mm -hmm. I think there was something going on for us where we weren't honest with each other about some of the things that weren't working well or some of the ways that we were feeling about it or anything negative, actually, we realized we hadn't said. We just weren't saying, which was such a surprise to us because we have a very honest working relationship and the work requires us to be very honest. And yet there was this actually sort of unconscious silence around saying I don't like this I don't like the way this is going I don't feel good about this you know really the biggest thing was the work is playing out differently maybe than how we imagined 
So we had a dream of how it would be. And then the reality was different. And I think there was, I'm not too sure, disappointment, maybe some shame, something about that, that we weren't able to voice. And so being busy, allowing ourselves to get busy on the Fridays with the operational things and probably not committing (laughs) to the promise of reflective practice every time or every other time we met, meant that several months had gone by before we realized there's something we're not saying. So we created about three hours one day to just reflect with each other and do nothing else. And in that time, these more painful realizations came to the surface. Really important because you can't do this work of inquiry if people are not being honest. It's a fundamental principle to what we're trying to do. Tell the truth. Tell the truths, plural, as they're emerging. And if you're not telling your own truth, you can't tell anybody else's. For me, professionally, I think involving a reflective practice or a reflective space to look at an issue helps me to respond to it rather than react to it. And I think that for me is very powerful. And it is about the process of how the inquiry is working. And it's about how we are doing things differently. I mean, there are operational and firefighting stuff that comes in the way. But then when we talk about these things in terms of the wicked issues, I think they require a response rather than a reaction. And I think a reflective practice has helped me. And I think reflective practice has helped me in self-care. You know, thinking about what is going to nourish me and how am I nourishing others through this. Because I think if I feel taken care of, I'm able to do the same or encourage others to do the same as well. And thirdly, it has also helped me in realizing my own privileges and vulnerabilities. And I think it's so important for us to do that because we work with other communities. You know, thinking of the language we are using and where does it come from? It helps you then, again, coming back to the first point to respond and you kind of examine that in your personal life. Yeah, I've definitely felt that through reflective practice, I guess an impact for me has been being able to voice those things that come out. You know, it's very easy to say, well, I like to be organized, but be able to say, like you say, Debbie, your vulnerabilities, I'm susceptible to comparison. I tend to do this. I felt that that's allowed us to strengthen our relationships as well within the inquiry because we're so open about our needs or where we tend to fall or, you know, just to notice like someone's got bigger workload or something like that. And you might think, how are they maybe reacting or what are they doing like to mask that? And where can I help in that aspect? I think it's been nice that through those reflective practices, people have been able to be quite open on who they are as a whole person as well. Reminded of the kind of reflective practice around seasons that we did. It was so powerful because now when we react with each other, we don't look at the individual. It takes you away and you look at the personality around the season. Is this person more of a summer and that impacts the way they are working? It kind of takes you away from talking about the person and as well, it's good to understand where the other is coming from. I was just reminded in terms of the seasons reflective session that we had and how it has changed our relationship for the better in many ways. I guess that's been one outcome through doing a reflective practice in the inquiry, but is there a reason that we really made an effort to try and embed it into our works? Why were we so, you know, from the get-go, this is something that's really has to take a bit of a priority for this inquiry? I think it goes to probably a sense of the work we're doing is emergent. So we're working in a way that 
we need to be responsive to each other and to the communities we're working with, the kind of wider system in Scotland that we're working with. There is a lot within social action. Social action is a term that's sometimes difficult to hold. You know, it's about driving forward change, communities of people driving forward change on any range of issues. So, you know, we're only focusing on a small amount of the social action that happens in Scotland. And even within that, talking about institutional forms of racism and talking about addiction and substance misuse and housing and the justice system, these things are really, really complex. I think coming into something like that, there's a risk of overwhelm and there's a desire in some way to try to pin down, control, create, you know, a really linear process. And we've gone the other way and worked with this idea of emergence and worked with complexity and systems thinking, you know, all these concepts that we're talking about in these podcasts. And reflective practice is a way for us to stay anchored within that because otherwise you get pulled into some of the kind of status quo or some of the kind of norms and behaviors that can exist where you start to recreate power structures that are exactly the ones that you're trying to dismantle or you recreate inequities that are exactly the ones that you're meant to be inquiring around. And if you don't have those anchor points, you can't interrogate what you're doing and you can't be authentic and accountable to the principles of the work. For me, reflective practice at the beginning was sort of non-negotiable actually within the work. And I think as Debbie says, there are then challenges that we've realized even when you make it something central, (laughs) the reality of trying to build it in, it's not without difficulty. But the reasons why I think are sound. Yeah, and I completely agree with that. So I think they definitely help in challenging systems, but they also help in noticing and learnings around us, which are difficult without reflective practice, in my opinion. Even the best of relationships have their lows and highs, and reflective practice helps talk about those issues in a frank manner and actually strengthens relationships then, also makes it more sustainable for the same reason. Oh yeah, there was another reason actually, the fun of it. I don't want to forget that because that was very important. I think reflective practice gives you an opportunity to bring a fun element to the otherwise mundane we try to embed that in, in our meetings as well, including laughter yoga as a pause, take away from the routine and just add some happy activity followed by a reflective question or something. The reason we wanted to embed that in the system rather than as an afterthought was basically because it doesn't become a privilege for some and not for others. It gives everyone the time, take that time for their self-learning, for their group learning. But once it's embedded in the system, it's everyone's right to be able to use it and doesn't put you in a position of power or privilege or not of power or privilege by not having access to that. I was just going to say, I love the focusing on the fun of it because I think there's something, isn't there, about following things that are joyful, you know, then you have more of an appetite for doing those things. Because we began talking about maybe the surprise of reflective practice and that trying to figure out how to build it in and that it can feel like a privilege but yeah I like that shifting to it's something joyful it creates space for fun and there's an entitlement to it you know at least what we've tried to create in the inquiry is everyone is entitled to that space and that time for connection since we're touching upon privilege I'm wondering whether both of you have thoughts on is it a privilege to be reflective Or is it the action side that comes out, the next step side? Is that then a privilege? 
So what I hear you asking in that question is whether taking the time to do reflective practice is a privilege that's only available to some. And then the other part of your question, I think, is, you know, the conclusions that you come to through reflective practice and the actions that you think are needed individually, collectively, might not be available to everyone to enact, given the institutional structural inequalities that we live with. Who is reflective practice for? And is there something potentially painful in its offering where it might reveal things that can't be changed by that person or that collective, or it just might not be available to us because of cultures or practices that we're working in, perhaps? I think it's a really good question. I mean, I suppose I don't want to deny that there are roles, work that we do, jobs that we have in which reflective practice feels hard to imagine within a kind of paid space. So I think for me, the distinction I would probably make, I don't think reflective practice as an activity should be privileged. Like I think it is available to everyone. And I think there's lots of ways, as Debbie said, that people do it all the time through humming when you're folding the laundry to, you know, walks to making stuff, painting, playing with your kids. There's all kinds of ways that people can bring a kind of mindfulness, which is what reflective practice is, I think, at its heart into the day-to-day. But I think for us, it probably is a privilege that we are in roles. Everyone in the inquiry is in a paid role. And so when we do reflective practice, it's part of our paid time. And I think for me, that's definitely a privilege. I can see the distinction between other kinds of work that I've done, which there's no way (laughs) that someone is going to pay me to take that time, even if it would benefit me, my role, my work, that organization. It's just not part of how those teams thought. It's not what they valued, but it is what we value. So we put resource, both time and money into it because we think it's part of that wider system change process. I totally agree with UCR because if we are working towards challenging those systems, we are also working towards a revamping of those systems in a way that is talking about embedding a culture of reflection, a culture of mindfulness within those systems which should be available for people from all roles. And it won't cost the provider a lot. If you actually think of it, it will create a lot of gains for everybody involved in that. And these reflective practices could be lasting from 5 to 15 minutes. You know, but it's the quality of the time that is given. And I think people could afford to embed that within the systems and challenge the whole idea of it being a privilege. It's called a challenge because the systems have named it as a privilege. It can be embedded quite easily as we have done ourselves in the systems. And my second point is about how these reflective practices, if embedded within systems, actually help challenge privileges that people hold. But they also bring out vulnerabilities and then people are able to speak to these challenges and vulnerabilities and different identities which are present. It's helpful for society as a whole as well as the organization. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that is the helpful flip, is to not see reflective practice as a privilege in and of itself, but to see it as something that helps unsettle privilege within a system. Because there are dynamics within the systems that we're working in that are resistant to change, because there are power holders who are comfortable within that. And it is uncomfortable to be asked to reflect and see the inequity that you're part of but that's what reflective practice does it opens us up to see how we are part of the problem and where our accountabilities lie 
yeah, it's a tool for unsettling privilege. Now, we've definitely been alluding to it, and now is the time to jump into it. What have some of the struggles been with trying to embed a reflective practice into this work or work that you've done in the past? In terms of, you know, my struggle within the inquiry has been time being one of the factors which has pushed us to think of the more operational stuff. But your point, CR, we also think of the more operational stuff because that's easier to think about and talk about and do. And the reflective stuff, though it's, you could do it at that time, it's more difficult to talk about and more difficult to open up and bring uh, your authentic self to those conversations. It's the worldview of seeing operational stuff as more productive and reflective practice as something which is much more, you know, a waste of time. But even though we have experienced and seen the positive impact of it, it has been a struggle for me to manage these two together. So it's difficult to prove to people the value of it in that moment because you, you don't measure that productivity at the moment. It's a long-term benefit, so it's not a short-term thing. So, you know, it's difficult to see that. And another struggle has been opening up to what I feel sometimes. And I think that's just something which you brought up as well, Sierra, at some point. Conversations which talk to our failures or our traumas are difficult to open up to. And that is another struggle which I feel while doing reflective practice or while trying to embed it within the system. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, those are the two main challenges. And I think I extend it maybe to thinking about the value of doing reflective practice as a collective. The question about time and productivity at an individual level, when you're confronted with, you know, this is how my day looks, I've got these emails, I've got this to do, this to do, this to do. It's hard to leave the space for reflective practice. You know, so it can get pushed to the end of the day or pushed to tomorrow. It can get pushed into a time slot where you don't really have the headspace or the energy to dedicate yourself to it because you've used up all that energy in this kind of productive busyness and it requires a shift. So I think there's something about working collectively, you make the commitment to others and that helps you, I think, show up for yourself. So there's something about the culture then, the culture of how you work as a group needs to enable that, <laughs> needs to be a shared commitment where everybody needs to value it and everyone needs to show up. But I think the vulnerability thing is hard as well. So the stakes are slightly higher if you're being vulnerable with others. And in my example where I was describing Sam and I coming to this realization, I think it's quite subtle. You know, there's a kind of sophisticated dynamic that I think was playing out there. So one, it's not just being vulnerable about what you think you might have done wrong or a failure that you have or some like weakness that's in yourself. It's like not wanting to undermine the whole effort of what we're doing not wanting to to call in any kind of negative feeling for fear that it might unsettle this very delicate balance that we were creating i think it's being open to fear as well as some of those other things we've described these are quite deep things that can come out through it but going back to that point about power allowing some of that stuff to come out i think is also what starts to just reshape us <laughs> and reshape the work and reshape the way that we're working with each other because it's all there whether you talk about it or not <laughs> absolutely so on the flip side of that there's definitely been a lot of highlights but if there was one that you really wanted to pinpoint what highlight of doing reflective practice in the quarry would you like to share 
I want you to tell your story about the columns. <laughs> so yeah, for me, started off doing a group reflective practice. And as we've talked about, that ended up going by the wayside because we were just so full on with getting communities on board, building those partnerships and just kind of navigating all that, which was all very new to me, especially as well. And I had tried through all this time to think, you know, the reason I'm here is to do the communications and I need to create a brand here because there's no kind of basis to go off of. And so I was looking on things like Pinterest. I'm sure there's other things available for mood boards and whatnot. But I was looking there and I was getting all these books about branding. And every time I created something, I looked at it the next day and went, that's not us. And I just couldn't shake this feeling of like, I don't know what to do because I just kept doing this thing of I'll create something else and that will be better and I'll create something else and that will be better it's just the way it works and every time I looked at it it felt like it just wasn't us and it wasn't until it was actually the first time I sat down and did individual reflective practice and I just opened a journal and just let the question go down on paper what is holding this back why does this not feel right and then just allowing all the thoughts to come through my head of like well because you want this and, and you're getting that or because you're looking at other examples it's not true to the inquiry and it just all these things were coming out which just for me helped me process all that all those things that were in my head for the last year in my own brain was giving me the reflective questions of so what would be representative and then I bought me this and this so I wasn't actually taking any examples from anywhere else it was just me in a journal going down on paper and that's how it came out being like, actually, if we're like a gallery showing stories. And it was just so beautiful how that came out of nowhere. No, I, had, I didn't get that inspiration from anywhere else. It just purely came out of that practice there and then. And I came back the next day. I had the good feeling of this is it. <laughs> and so that was definitely my biggest highlight for reflective practice. I love that. Yeah, I think. I mean, that, it's a highlight for me, and it, it happened to you. <laughs> but it's a it, shared highlight. Totally. It's totally, yeah. For me, that story speaks to sometimes things are hard for quite a long time, and there's a real labor in holding the tension. Judith Butler has that quote, staying with the trouble, you know, stay with it, you know, work it through rather than avoid, shut it down, blame something. And that reflective practice offered you that space to keep staying with it. Yeah, I love that. I agree with you. I mean, I think it's like a shared highlight for us, you know, like a story to tell of one of the successes of the inquiry's reflective practice. Um, I think I have a couple of those examples where I can see how I thought of things differently after I did reflective practice around dreaming mostly, you know, like changing research into storytelling, you know, you know, that was one space where I dreamt in addition to any other space where we co-dreamt as well. Yeah, but I think even personally, it has helped me with the inquiries needs, but it has also has been very beneficial for me in terms of my own commitment to self-care. As little as five minutes has helped me into just being much more calmer in myself and much more like uh, ready for the day as opposed to just being you know there are a lot of things I need to manage around 
having a toddler in the house you know having a partner who works from home you know having parents who i need to care for so having all this but you know having those five minutes to myself within my work structure where i can actually collect my thoughts and be ready for the day and just be thinking of all these things that i need to manage you know encourage me to look after myself better as well mm-hmm. just having a candle in the background there you know with the with fragrances coming in mm-hmm. just helps me get my mindset and and take more care of myself so reflective practice has helped me alongside meeting the inquiry needs my own personal needs and i would have shied away from saying this if i would be in any other space but i think by embedding it in the process has helped me come out and talk about mm-hmm. like i feel that i'm happier and i'm joyful doing it and i don't see it as a waste of time which i would have seen it in a different space so as we're bringing the conversation to a close i was wondering if you might be able to offer up a piece of learning or a piece of unlearning that would be helpful to our audience if they want to embark on a reflective practice I think reflective practice needs to be within the routine of your day for it to be a practice. And if you find it challenging, try doing it with a pair because it's always helpful with a pair and a big group. And do it with someone who you feel you may be comfortable sharing things to start with if you feel like doing it. You can do it once a week, but do it every week. You know that kind of thing. You don't have to do it every day if you feel it's difficult, but regularity and you have someone to encourage you do it. Yeah, I love those. I love the invitation to think about unlearning. So I think for me, there's something for all of us about unlearning what productivity looks like and feels like. We are not machines. We're not meant to be machines. We're not meant to live like machines. I think finding a way to be present to that is really important and to think about our lives and our work outside of just that frame of productivity of every hour is an accomplishment of some kind. And that being, you know, being rather than doing is very, very important. And it ultimately, it just helps us to be aligned for the work that we do and the actions that we take and the way that we move and change to be aligned to purpose and to what's most valuable to us and so that we don't get distracted and pulled into things that are actually not core to what we want to be doing with our time here. Thank you to the both of you. That was great. And just as a checkout question from our conversation here, wondering if you could both use one word to just say how you're leaving after this conversation today. I feel fluid. Thanks, Yar. Content. I feel content. Yeah. Thanks, Debbie. I feel uplifted. (laughs) So thank you to both of you again for sitting down and having this conversation about reflective practice. And I'm really excited for everyone who is engaging with this conversation as well to see where this takes them me too me too thanks for the space amanda mm. thanks ER for the company yeah likewise loved it yeah. Woo-hoo! <laughs> Yay! thank you for joining us on this episode about reflective practice i have two questions that you can ponder in your own self-reflective time and these are How can you adopt a reflective practice in your life? And the second is, what noticings do you have about how we perceive productivity? What are your assumptions about this? And where did it originate from? Thank you again for joining us on the Wave of Call podcast. 
Our episodes are released fortnightly and we can't wait for you to join us for the next one.